T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Spotlight on Maryland. I'm your host, Liz Drabeck. For the next 30 minutes, we'll talk about food insecurity and helping those with chronic illness. To help me do that is Susan Elias, Executive Director of Movable Feast. Susan is joining me remotely as we stay pandemic safe. Susan, good morning. Good morning, Liz. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. Let me start with the brass tack, Susan. What is Movable Feast? Well, Movable Feast is a nonprofit organization here in Maryland, and we serve people who live at that intersection between serious chronic illness and food insecurity. So we provide healthy, home-delivered meals with individualized nutritional counseling to people right here in our community at no cost. And we're currently serving 750 people a week delivering up to 8,000 meals. Susan, how did this start? Well, we started over 30 years ago during another pandemic, the AIDS pandemic in 1989, when uh, people were seeing the suffering of those who were living with AIDS and wanted to provide the basic comforts, including food. And um, we certainly have connected to our roots <laughs> during this pandemic of tr- wanting to bring healthy food to people in need during a very difficult time. Yeah, and I would imagine, especially with the economic impact, like it's so difficult to get nutrition. It's nothing to get cheap food or food that's not good for you. So talk to me about like how this has grown. So the inception started during the AIDS epidemic, and it was just like, okay, we want to bring these people food. But tell me more about like the movement and how that actually became the execution, I guess, is what I'm asking. Well, it it started very small with people wanting to provide food and making food in their homes and in in church kitchens and delivering it. And then really through funding through uh, the city of Baltimore and then through the state uh, growing. And then Ryan White funding through the federal government provided even more resources to serve people with HIV. And then we've expanded based on the need beyond Baltimore City to 14 additional counties, including the entire Eastern Shore, and then other disease states. So people with HIV are living longer, uh, but there are many people who need healthy food to help them manage their health. And so people with diabetes, people with cancer, people with heart disease, people with kidney disease. So we've grown to uh, to serve uh, a wider range of, of people with chronic illness. 
That is fascinating. Now, Susan, if I'm someone at home with a chronic illness, how do I reach out to you? How do I get the service to become available to me? So all of the people we serve are referred to us through a medical provider, and that is because we do provide medically tailored meals. So our meals are designed for people with particular uh, serious illnesses. And so uh, somebody would need to reach out to the clinic that they go to or their primary care uh, physician or a caseworker that they're working with who would then connect us uh, to them and then we could do an assessment to determine if they're eligible for service. Now I am insanely curious and I'm gonna get probably overly specific, but let's say I'm diabetic. What does a medically tailored plan look like? Well, a med medically tailored plan has the right nutrients for someone who is dealing with diabetes. It's also the right portions. And so our meals come frozen. Uh, our, the people that we serve get typically 12 meals a week, so six lunches, six dinners. It's approximately 70% of their nutrition. And so it, it contains the foods that are right for them based on what their health needs are. Um, you know, so if you have hypertension, it's, it's a low-sodium diet, uh, and it's the right portions, and so it's helping people understand the types of foods they should eat and the types of portions. And then, of course, we provide that individual nutrition counseling with our registered dietitians that also helps people understand uh, what food is coming to them and why they're eating the foods that we send. That is fascinating. And I imagine a lot of this changed about a year ago. So can you talk to me a little bit about, you know, pandemic versus non-pandemic? Like what had to change? Well, things had to change very quickly. And I'm, I'm proud to say that yeah. we never missed a single meal delivery during the pandemic. Uh, but we had to change things. I mean, food, food availability changed overnight. As, as everyone knows, as what people were experiencing in their grocery stores, we were experiencing from our suppliers. Uh, so we had to uh, change some of our production, our, our recipes, streamline that. Uh, we went from having over 150 volunteers at our site a week to zero. Uh, so uh, all of oh. our staff put on aprons and went into the kitchen. Um, <laughs> we, we really had to figure out what's the best way to make this food uh, in a safe way, keeping social distancing in our kitchen, all of our staff with PPE, uh, and then you know, to be able to produce those 8,000 meals a week uh, in a safe environment, and we were able to do that. And, of course, our delivery, we deliver right to people's homes, and so we instituted a contactless delivery where our drivers would go to a person's home. They now go there. They call the resident. Uh, then they make sure the person is home. They make a drop-off at the person's door. They step back and then make sure that the person can receive the food and take it inside. So we've um, instituted many changes to keep everyone, our staff, our clients, the community healthy. But we've done that in a way that we've been able to continue delivering and, in fact, increase our amount of deliveries over the last nine months by about 5,500 meals a month. And that was my absolute next question is, has demand increased during this very strange time? It, it has. Of course, we know that, that food insecurity is up. And then, of course, the people we serve 
are so at risk. They cannot go out to the grocery store. They are immunocompromised. They, they, yeah. It's not good for them to be out in the community. It's not good for them to be in the grocery store. So the first thing that we had to do was make sure we could get to the people who were already on service with us. Uh, we had clients who called us and said, please tell me that you can keep delivering food. Uh, we also were able to provide additional food to the people we were serving, so non-perishable items, knowing that there might be additional food insecurity of other people in the home um, or inability to access uh, food from the grocery store or, or other places. Uh, and then we were able, once we were and once we knew that we could serve the people who we already had on service with us, then we could start expanding based on the um, increased funding that we were so grateful to receive from the community and from government sources so that we could uh, add people who, who really, because of, of their risk now during the pandemic, could not leave and needed that home-delivered meal. And what did the completion of your volunteers look like? Because you mentioned that your volunteers, obviously out of safety concerns, had to go down to zero. So what has that journey been like since last March? Well, we've been slowly reintroducing volunteers as we understand more about uh, COVID-19 and the safety protocols, but it's been very limited. So currently we have three shifts of four volunteers each because that's what we believe we can do uh, in terms of spacing to keep social distancing in place. Uh, and we've been uh, going to our really wonderfully committed volunteers who have been coming in regularly. Everyone, of course, is wearing masks and gloves and all of the safety precautions that, that we put in place. We've also increased our amount of delivery drivers because we do believe in that contact contactless delivery, that the safety of that. So we've had people who were working in our kitchen who were able to pick up roots and, and deliver uh, because it's it's a, a safe environment. That is just absolutely incredible. And, and the need for it, you know, being even more dire, you know, as you mentioned earlier, if I wanted to become a volunteer, what do I need to do? Where do I need to go? So it's our website, www.mfeast.org. We have all of our volunteer opportunities uh, on the site. We are now accepting new volunteers although we are requiring that any new volunteer be fully vaccinated. Uh, right now, we believe that is the safest way to introduce new people into, into a, a close environment. Uh, we are doing social distancing, yeah. but we want to make sure that everyone, volunteers and staff, are all safe. So I see that you're headquartered in Baltimore, but you mentioned that you serve several communities. Can you talk more about that? Yes, our, we are located in East Baltimore. That is where our offices and our production kitchen is located. So we make all our meals here right in East Baltimore, huh. but we deliver throughout the state. So all the way up north um, uh, and to the entire eastern shore and then Anne Arundel County, Howard County. Uh, we do not do Western Maryland or the direct suburbs of D.C., and that demand across the state has grown, and so we continue to to deliver in order to meet that need. You have a very big fundraiser coming up. Tell me about it. We do. It's called Ride for the Feast. <laughs> and last yeah. year, it was right before the ride that uh, everything had to close down, and we certainly <laughs> had to make a shift very quickly. 
uh, a 140-mile two-day bike ride became a virtual ride. Uh, oh. And we were oh, just wow. amazed and very, very grateful to all of the people who got involved and, and did that virtual ride, uh, whether they were riding in their neighborhood or on a, a stationary bike in their home, or they just decided to get out and, and walk the miles in a, on, a, on a trail in order to uh, meet their fundraising goal. This year, we are um, doing the Ride for the Feast in person, uh, and it will be okay. on the Eastern Shore in Easton, Maryland, with but only doing a one-day event, again, in order to make sure that all okay. of the safety protocols are in place. And the date of the event is? It is Saturday, May 1st. As I said, in Easton, Maryland, this is our 19th year. So it's our 19th year. Uh, it's a one-day bike ride. And our riders have three options. They can ride a loop of 100 miles, 62 miles, or 40 miles. So I see that you can choose the three ride options. What about the move for the feast options? What else could I do if I'm not a biker? Well, we learned last year going virtual. I think we've all learned how to make different shifts and, <laughs> yeah. and different ways of doing things. And some of those things worked really well. And people enjoy doing yeah. the virtual option. Maybe they can't get to the Eastern Shore on May 1st, but they want to support Movable Feast. And so we have a virtual option called Move for the Feast. And uh, participants can sign up. Maybe they want to ride a bike. Maybe they want to run. Maybe they want to walk. And they're going to set a goal of a certain mileage between April 1st and May 2nd. And they will track their uh, progress towards that goal in order to raise funds for Movable Feast. Okay, yeah, I saw that. I saw that I, and to be a Strava, which is I was like, I use that. And I feel like so many things are virtual, whether people are running virtual marathons. So this is a great way to do it on your own, but to, to also be involved. What is the fundraising goal, Susan? Our goal is to raise $800,000. And it's, it's a significant goal. This event raises uh, a, a a significant portion of our budget each year. And last year, nobody knew what was going to happen with, with the change. We were in, in yeah. such a, a unknown territory. But we raised over $750,000 last year, having to go virtual at the last minute. Oh, wow. And yes. We are just very um, thankful to our supporters. And so we know we can achieve that $800,000 fundraising goal this year. And we also know that people are just so excited to be able to be out in person for many people. It'll be the first event that they attend in over a year. And the pictures I'm seeing on the separate website is incredible. The website for the event is rideforthefeast.org. And if you want to learn anything about just movable feast in general, that website is mfeast.org. So let's say I'm not a biker, I'm not a swimmer, I'm not active. Can I volunteer for the event, Susan? Yes, you can. So we say volunteer, ride, donate. Those are the options. And we need plenty of volunteers on okay. the day of the event. Uh, hopefully it will be a beautiful day. and. We'll need people registering the riders, handing out snacks, even more people because we are going to maintain social distance. So uh, we'll need people at pit stops. There'll be staggered starts. And so those volunteers are crucial for making this event happen. Susan, I asked the big fundraiser uh, question, but I skipped right over the sort of the meat of it, like the indiv individual fundraising efforts. What do those look like? 
So people, uh, we've had riders that have been riding with us for over a decade, and we have teams that that uh, compete against each other for raising funds, uh, <laughs> and they have a great time with it. They make it very fun. In past years, they would hold events, and of course, we can't do that this year. So people are coming up with creative ways to get sponsorship. Um, everybody has uh, a page, usually on Facebook, where they're they're reaching out to their friends and family, asking for support. Um, we have teams. We have one team called Rebels for a Cause that are dressing up in unicorn outfits and making local deliveries from, <laughs> from restaurants. Uh, I myself picked up a basket at the Waverly Farmer's Market on Valentine's Day weekend uh, from, from the Charlottesville Farm uh, from a unicorn. <laughs> so uh, everyone's coming up with really creative ways to get support uh, for their their ride or their participation from their family and friends. And all of that contributes to the larger $800,000 goal. Well, Susan, the uh, outdoor interactive didn't even occur to me that that idea that you guys are at, you know, the Waverly Farmers Market and that you're in the community, you know, being safe and but still being an active and present. So you mentioned uh, the food delivery from or the takeout from that regard. Talk to me about some of your past events. I'm seeing stuff on your website, mfeast.org, about dining out for life. Yes. Yeah, so dining out for life is our other major fundraising event. We do that in September. Okay. And that's critical now. Um, in the past, it was restaurants that would ho- host uh, a night where a portion of their proceeds would benefit Movable Feast. Of course, we could not do this, do that this past fall. Uh, and so what we did was we wanted to give back to the restaurants that had been supporting us for many, many years. So we asked our supporters, Movable Feast supporters, to patronize restaurants that had been uh, partners with us, do takeout, and then match that donation, uh, the amount of their takeout to a do- with a donation to Movable Feast. And we did that over the course of um, several weeks in the late summer and early fall. So we will be doing uh, Dining Out for Life again this fall. What it will look like, we're not sure. Uh, but we do know that okay. the restaurants that have been our partners uh, they're, they're still a critical component. And of course they need support as well. And I'm seeing that through all this creative engineering that you've had to pivot out of during the pandemic, I saw something on your website, mfeast.org about the strategic plan. What's that? So as we emerge out of the pandemic, we really needed to set our vision. Where are we headed over the next several years? Uh, life changed for everyone over the past year, and we wanted to make sure that we had a collective vision of where we were going. And so we spent the last okay. six months figuring out, you know, what are our strategic priorities, movable feast, as we emerge from the p- pandemic. And uh, we were focusing on five key areas, um, growing and developing our people we know that it's our staff, our board, our volunteers, and our supporters that have made this work over the last 12 to 14 months. And we want to make sure that we're engaging and, and, and attracting and developing a diverse group of people that are connected with the organization and are making it thrive. Um, we're looking at our impact. How do we show that we are improving the health of Marylanders? How can we demonstrate that? What's the data that we're collecting? And so that we know that really 
the meals that we are delivering are contributing to the health of people with, with serious chronic illness. Um, we're looking at our partnerships with healthcare organizations. We want to make sure we're connected with the hospitals and the insurance providers so that this is a, a um, service that is provided for. If you are diagnosed with diabetes, you know that you can have home-delivered meals, medically-tailored meals delivered to you as part of your insurance coverage because it is really essential in terms of managing your disease. Um, we're looking at how we engage the community. How are we effectively telling our stories? Uh, we know how much we've had to tell the story of what we've done over the last 12 to 14 months, the stories of the people we serve and how they have been courageous and we have partnered with them in getting through this. And so we want to continue to engage the community in our mission because we know people want to be supportive. And finally, we're looking at centering on racial and social equity. We want to build an organizational culture that is diverse, and we also know racial equity is a huge factor in who gets services like ours, who gets good yeah. health care, who gets food, how food insecurity affects Marylanders. And it's, we really need to look at racial equity and how we break down those barriers to make sure people who need this most in Maryland get the home delivery of medically tailored meals for Movable Feast. And that's such a great point because access is such a big part of that. So the more that we can talk about movable feast, you know, and put you out there in the community, the better it is for those who may not have thought of it otherwise. Exactly. Uh, with all the people that do support us and all of the, all of the great uh, connections that we have, there are many more people who need to know about the work that we do and need to have access to our service. Yeah. And I like that you have unicorns doing it. <laughs> um, I, I think about the ways that you've had to, you know, pivot, you being the key word, you know, into your pandemic, you know, your strengths quickly. Are there things that you'll adopt and keep going forward? Like I think about the virtual component of Ride for the Feast and other things you can do online to even hit a broader community. So there are there things that you're keeping in mind for the future in terms of, hey, this works all the time. It is, and I think that's up to all of us to to think through that. You know, we we need to emerge from the pandemic in what I call a better normal. We don't want to go backwards. We've oh, all been through yeah. this, and we need to look at what's better. We've been challenged over the course of the pandemic where it has opened our eyes to particularly those barriers and the racial inequities that people in Maryland are are facing. And so there are things that we are going to keep up. Um, there are people who may want to continue that contactless delivery if they're concerned about yeah. their, uh, their health. Uh, we can certainly keep that going. Our expansion of our volunteers in our deliveries, um, our, our volunteers who deliver to our clients say that's the best part of their week. They know their clients. They, they, they drop off Christmas gifts for them. And so finding the opportunities for more people to, to, uh, be able to participate in that way has been uh, a, a benefit to us and definitely a benefit to the volunteers who have been uh, volunteering. Uh, our, our definitely our events, you know, how do we partner uh, with places like the restaurants that have been so supportive of us when we know that they too are suffering during the pandemic? 
And, uh, and then just in, in our meals, how do we make sure that we are providing the healthiest uh, food to the people we serve? It's what they need. It's what they can eat and uh, what gives them the strength uh, to manage their, their chronic illness. You mentioned the highlight of the week of the recipients and the volunteers, too, like seeing each other and being able to connect, especially right now when it's such an impersonal, isolated world. I saw another way to donate to give. Can you talk about how, like, if I wanted to, I could send a note to one of your clients? Yes, we have realized that social isolation social isolation has been uh, a real issue with the people that we serve. For some people... The only human contact they have during the week is when our driver drops off their meals. And so uh, we developed uh, kindness cards. This was an opportunity for our volunteers who are used to being in here weekly in our kitchen to uh, connect with with the people we serve, but also provide something to our clients. And so you can create kindness cards, just an uplifting note uh, to say, hey, I'm thinking about you that goes in with our packages of meals and gets delivered to our clients uh, with their weekly meal delivery. What a remarkable idea, especially like with the oversaturation of Zooms, <laughs> you know, just another <laughs> personal touch to, to, to create a, a connection. Susan, we only have a few minutes left. Are there any final thoughts you'd like to get out there or people you'd like to mention? Well, we can't say enough about uh, our volunteers and our supporters over the last 14 months. Uh, just back in in March, we were we didn't know what was going to happen, how we were going to manage through this, and it's really through the generosity of the people who who knew that the work we were doing was critical that has kept us going. And so I want to thank them, and then certainly our our committed riders and volunteers and supporters of Ride for the Feast. This is our 19th year. Some people, uh, some organizations, their events didn't make it through the pandemic, and and this one did. The the, the people who participate this, in this are so committed, and so we're just so excited to be back together again uh, in Eastern Maryland on May first. And so, uh, the to the event committee, to our riders, to our staff, uh, and to all the people who donated and supported our riders to make this happen, uh, we are very very grateful. Oh, Susan, that is incredibly touching. We've been talking to Susan Elias, Executive Director of Movable, Movable Feast, and Movable Feast provides food to those that may be chronically ill, not just in Baltimore, but across Maryland. They have their bike riding event, or really moving in any way event, coming up, and the website for that is rideforthefeast.org. You can choose to ride in person across Easton with the three different mileages Susan mentioned. To learn more about that, you can go to rideforthefeast.org. Also, you can volunteer. You can volunteer at Movable Feast or for the ride specifically. Susan, I've really enjoyed our time together. Thank you so much for kind of, you know, spooling over how Life, you know, you were dealing with something critical before the pandemic that even reached a higher critical status since. So thank you so, so much for for sharing your time with us today. Well, thank you, Liz. It really is uh, an honor to be on the show, and we really appreciate your support. And we really appreciate you joining us, and thank you all for listening. This has been a production of Entercom Baltimore.